Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, December 14th, 2020, and today we are reading from the big book. We're in Chapter 2, page 22, the third paragraph. Perhaps there will, there never will be, reading just one paragraph. And today's readers are, and thank you for your service, for the 12 steps, Laurel B., 12 Traditions, Lindsay W., and reading the text are Tony Ann A. and Nancy P., and Leon B. is our backup. And the reference number for Sunday, December 13, 2020, is 15,982. That's 15982. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Laurel B. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Step number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you so much, Laurel. I will now ask Lindsay W. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Lindsay W., a compulsive overeater in Houston, Texas. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. 
Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone again. Everyone's phone except in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 22, the third paragraph, perhaps there never will be, reading one paragraph only. And I will ask Tori Ann A. to begin reading. Good morning, my name is Tony Ann A. I'm a recovered compulsive reader and bulimic from New Jersey. Perhaps there never will be a full answer to these questions. Opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure why. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. Okay. Um, good morning, everybody. I'm happy to be here today. Uh, my name is Tony Ann. I'm from New Jersey, recovered compulsive overeater. And not sure why. Actually, the, the questions that they're talking about refer to the questions on the paragraph above which is why can't I take one drink? Why do I behave like this? What happened to my common sense and willpower and a couple other ones? But it reminds me of something that's written on page um, Roman number 26 in the doctor's opinion. It talks about it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or we were mental defectives. 
you know, I spent a lot of years trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Um, I went to different therapists. I've read many self-help books. Um, I, I sought out many different things to try to figure out why I was different. I couldn't understand. For years, I couldn't understand. And it just used to make me crazy. Why was it that some people could have a bite of something and push it away? And I had a bite of something and I had to have more or the whole thing. And I couldn't stop. Or why was it that I would go out to dinner and have like a four-course meal and be completely full and then come home and have to go in the refrigerator or the, the cabinet and get something else to eat, even though I was full and sick? You know, it made no sense to me. I spent many years trying to figure that out. And it, it, the point is, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, there is no, there is no answer to the question. The, question, the answer is because I'm a compulsive overeater. And I am mentally and bodily different than others. It says opinions vary considerably as to why we react differently. I react differently than normal people. Normal people, you know, they can ingest those things and move on with their life. But for me, I can't. What happens to me is it triggers, if I ingest something that I'm allergic to, it triggers the phenomena of craving, which makes me want to have more. I can't stop myself. And also, I also have a, a mental twist. You know, I don't process feelings the way a normal person processes feelings. My instinct, when I have a feeling, my instinct tells me that I need to eat something, that I need to stuff that feeling down and soothe myself with food. And it says, once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. There wasn't anything that anybody could done for me to try to help me stop. Uh, believe me, it, they, people tried. My husband tried. My family tried. Nothing was going to be done for me from the outside. Recovery for me has to be an inside job. It has to be something that I want for myself, that I do for myself. And um, I just, I had said before on this line, the same water that boils the egg softens the potato. It doesn't really matter what the circumstances are. It's what I'm made of. And what's important is that I accept who and what I am and so that I know what I need to do. And wasting energy on trying to figure out why is just that. It's a waste of energy. I can take that energy and instead put it towards the solution, which is these 12 steps. It's entire abstinence and these 12 steps. And I think that that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Uh, Tony Ann. I'm sorry, I keep messing up your name. Okay. Um, although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that, in order that others might share their experience. So um, who would like to share on page 22, the third paragraph? Chuck K. Nossa uh, Janet B. Janet B. Linda D. Janet B. Linda D. Vasa Nosa J. On M, Nosa J, Laura L. Laura L. Okay, that's a good group. Let's see who I got. I have Chuck K, Janet B, Linda D, On M, Nosa J, Vasa O, and Laura L. So go ahead, please, Chuck K. Unless Was there anyone I missed? Okay, go ahead, please, Chuck, followed by Janet B. Hey, good morning. It's Chuck from Georgia. And I was just thinking there is so much hope with that statement, that paragraph, because if I've taken step one and two, that means I don't have to try to figure this out anymore. I just have to do the work that's in front of me. And I just have to do what people that have come before me say. And that's it. 
And about two years ago, I was in a meeting, and somebody said a really wonderful statement. They said, figuring things out is not a tool of this program. Nowhere does it say we have to figure anything out. And that's what I want to spend a lot of my time doing. I want to know why things happen the way they do. I want to know why I'm different. I guess I think that if I knew the answer, <clears throat> then I would be able to solve the problem. And the good news in this paragraph is this problem isn't for me to solve. This problem just tells me there's a set of things that I need to start doing on a daily basis. And if I do these things, then a very kind and benevolent higher power will come in and protect me from the thing that's almost killed me and wanted to take my family away before it did it. So I just like to look at the, the hope and the happiness that's in this little paragraph that tells me I don't have to figure this out. I don't have to know the answers. I just need to get into this book, and I need to do what it says, and that's all I got to do. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Chuck. Okay, Janet B., you're up, followed by Linda D. Hi, good morning. It's Janet B., recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia in New Jersey. Um, yeah, as to figuring out why. Well, I always wanted to figure out why so I could figure out who to blame. And I think it's usually our parents, right? We say, I'm a compulsive eater because. Um, and, of course, our fourth step tells us that we need to forgive. But even more this, um, we cannot answer the riddle. I've heard it and used it myself before I recovered in the rooms as to why I would break my abstinence. And I would always say a circumstance. Well, it was a rainy day and I wanted to go out with my friends and, you know, therefore I binged. There was always a reason. My lousy boss, my lousy whatever. And what I've learned in recovery is that circumstances are never the cause of going off my food plan. I've been in recovery a lot of years now. Um, I stayed abstinent through a double miscarriage. And our book gives us examples of that. We see Jim in Chapter 3. Life was going great. He had a job. His family was back. And he went out and he binged. And then we see in a chapter of Vision for You, Bill Wilson was discredited, almost broke away from home and he started Alcoholics Anonymous. And what was the difference there? It wasn't circumstance, it was our spiritual condition. So as long as I'm surrendered to God as I understand him and trusting him with the outcomes, I can be abstinent no matter what happens. And with that, I pass, thank you. Thank you, Janet. Okay, Linda D, it's your turn, followed by Ann M. Good morning, everybody. It's Linda D. from Connecticut. What an interesting paragraph. Um, I've been in the program, of re I'm recovered uh, by the goodness and love of God. And um, hmm. the thing is, when I came in, I couldn't have cared less. I was so scared and so broken. That was a real advantage because I did what I was told to the best of my ability. And then I got to be a smartass. And the thing was, you wanted me to believe in God. You know, you called it a higher power, but I knew what you wanted. And that was, no, I'm not doing that. Because I've tried that many times, and that does not work. Well, it's the only thing that does work. 
but I um, I was stubborn and I bucked to life. Uh, the point that I'm trying to get to is I, di- I did and I do and I live in the 12 steps and with all of you because I can't do it alone with a book, uh, even with God in the book, I need uh, human help as well as, and, and it's a form of divine help. The point is that now I know, I'm, I believe, this is me, that I'm, uh, I'm self-destructive with food and if I'm abstinent, thank God, then my thinking is self-destructive. I need a whole new uh, lifestyle. I need to be taught how to live. I need to be taught how to love. And this is where I learn it, from my source, from God, through all of you. This is a program, Love 101, The Universe 101. And I am thrilled to be here and hopefully humble today. And I learn a little bit more and and have a good day. And I hope you do too. Thanks. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, that was Linda D. And now we'll have on M followed by Nosa J. Hi, Casey. Hi, Casey. This is on M here from Ireland. Um, I hope you can hear me okay. Can you? Yes, perfectly. Okay, now we can't hear you on. Okay, oh, sorry, Katie. I thought you were. <laughs> sorry, Katie, I'm back. Yeah, lovely there paragraph, and thank you so much for your service and uh, to everybody on the line. And yeah, lovely paragraph. I really love this paragraph. And uh, you know, the perhaps, perhaps these never, you know, perhaps there never will be a full answer and a full answer, you know, to these questions. And that's the big why word. And uh, yeah, it's very strange. You know, we are addicts professionals can't help us you know lay people can't and nobody knows the reason and uh yeah it's lovely to be able to put that at rest and peace you know that i don't have to know why i just know i have this and i know what it is and i know what to do about it and i have a solution um the next i love the part the you know opinions vary and that really reminded me of you know, the part in the in the in the big book, the doctor's opinion. You know, it's the doctor's opinion. Doctor Silkworth wasn't an addict, he was a doctor who gave his opinion. And uh yeah, I just loved as well as convention when we when it was on there in last year that you know, that we could we could look and hear that, you know, Doctor Silkworth surrendered to his, you know, professional judgment or his professional help that he couldn't help us but he could give his opinion. And that opinion was so valuable to us as addicts today. Um, yeah, and just, you know, as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from the normal the normal people. This is, you know, the, this is the riddle, I suppose. Why do we react? And, and you know, you can come up with 100 million cases or 100 million, you know, why, why, you know, disconnection, feelings, genetics, it's hereditary, whatever they are, but... The truth is we're going to die there, you know, unless we can just accept that this is a disease, you know, it's a it's a physical allergy, a mental obsession, a spiritual malady, and what do I need to do to, 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 to get, you know, to get a solution around it? Um, where it says we are not sure why once a certain point is reached. And that's the rock bottom, you know, it's the rock bottom for me. 
and little can be done for him. You know, I think that's the point of the second. It's kind of the gift of desperation comes in there. Face then, you know, it's the acceptance of it, you know, and what can I do about it? And my back was up against the wall and, you know, I suffered in this disease for a very, very long time and I was happy to come in and do what I had to do, you know, but it was it was it was hard. It's not not it's not normal living, you know, as other people do, as normal eaters do. But you know what? I'd have this over any other day that, you know, that I'm back in the food and I just, you know, it's it's a gift. Um, yeah, we can't answer the riddle, but we have a solution. Um and it is just, you know, picking up it's that alternative, you know, it's not a choice. You either stay where you are in the food or else people are spiritual tools. And I'll finish with that. Thank you, Katie, again for your service. With that, I pass. Thank you, Anne. Okay, Nosa J, you're up, followed by Vata O. Hi, good morning, everyone. It's Nosa J from Houston, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And um, thank you all for your share so far. Um, for me, I am one that thinks I'm too smart for everything. So um, I need to hear things a little bit harsher. Um, I remember when someone told me it's none of my effing business, why? Um, I heard that. You know, I don't hear things like it's none of your business. Um, I don't hear that. You know, I'm a rougher kind of gal. (laughs) And, um, you know, when you speak my language in the beginning, I hear it. You know, Um, the thing that I, I do know is that I'm a compulsive overeater. I eat over everything and anything. Um, and I go to the max, you know, and I hurt myself by eating. Um, and so, you know, um, my life today is absolutely amazing. Um, I went to, uh, last week I went and finally got to see my granddaughter. She's two months old. And, um, you know, I didn't have to compulsively overeat. I went home and, um, you know, nobody nobody bothered me about it. Um, this, the, uh, the one of the mother-in-laws, she's like, um, you're doing really good on your diet, you know? And I said, well, I hope it's not a diet. I hope this is for the rest of my life, you know? Um, and um, we were talking about it and she's like, um, because her daughter and her daughter ordered pizza, and I was like, um, she was like, "Oh, you don't eat this," and I was like, "Don't worry about it. I'm fine," you know. And and I was told that I still have a nose and I still have eyes, and I I still love pizza, but I can't have it because it it hurts me when I eat it because I can't just have one piece, you know. I have to have the whole thing plus two pints of ice cream, so that's not going to do good for me. So I just don't eat it. Um, you know, and I, I'm so blessed today that I'm recovered. You know, um, it's amazing that I don't compulsively overeat again. And I, and I can't stop saying that. I'm just so um, elated or excited or thankful, like everything. Um, so I'm just really happy to be here. I'm glad to be back and hear your lovely voices. And um, you all have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you, Nosa. Okay, Vasa O, followed by Laura L. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Vasa, grateful, grateful, recover, compulsive, Vida. I believe that Casey or Katie, thank you for your service this morning and everybody's service by your shares. I can identify with every one of you. And, yes, I spent many, many, many years 
why I cannot put the food down, why I cannot be a normal person. Like, not, like I'm, I'm not going to say like everybody else. There's, there are a lot, a lot of compulsive overeaters out there in the world, but I'm just so grateful I was led into 12 steps and, and the solution. So whatever it is, I could have been born with it, you know, could be genetic. I don't know. I don't know why my husband can have one and be okay and leave something on his plate if he felt like that was enough. I mean, I would be finishing up, finishing up my kids' plates before I came to to my program and looking for more and more. I could never just have one of thing, one of thing. For me, it was all or nothing, and I choose certain things I cannot ingest in my body. It it sets up the craving. It follow it follows with the mental obsession. And I'm so grateful somebody gave me this big book, you know, years ago. And I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know 35 years ago, 30 whatever, and when I came around, there wasn't much known about food addiction and eating disorders. I just ate because I loved to eat, you know. And it was really accepted in my family. And I really didn't feel like remorse. You know, everybody ate, but I didn't like my body. I always tried to cover up the fat underneath my body. So I remember the shame, the guilt at times, and I was beginning to uh, develop physical problems. So at this solution, I, I'm just so grateful for this man. That were, this, was, this is a gift. These people were inspired by God how to help with any kind of addiction, whatever addictions we are struggling with. And uh, to me, the key was surrender, surrender to a power greater than myself and follow the directions the way they laid it in the book. And it was not very easy for me to put the food down, certain things. I said, I cannot live this, my life for the rest of my life without not having those certain things that I love. And my sponsor said, one day at a time, one meal at a time, has gotten me many, many, many years. And of course, I had to deal with step four, five, six, seven. I did the, I, and that's my, that's my time. But anyways, thank you for letting me share and God bless everybody and I pass. Well, thank you, Vasa. And now Laura L is up and then, oops, sorry. And then we will open it up for more shares on page 22, the third paragraph. Go ahead, Laura. Hi, uh, Laura L. Compulsive Recovered Eater in Pennsylvania. Thanks, everyone, for your service and your shares. Um, I did spend a lot of money on why. Um, I was going to be really dead and really broke, but I was going to understand why I compulsively overate. And I also spent a lot of time on um, what if I'm not a compulsive eater. Um, um, uh, somehow I felt maybe I overcorrected, that I was over sober. You know, my, my food plan was too abstinent. Maybe I should have food plan like other people. Um, and I had to let go of that as well. Um, in, in step one, section B, it says I'm no longer in management. And I was told that why is a management question. So it really doesn't matter because it just takes me down a rabbit hole. And I can really stay in rabbit holes for a long time. Um, this idea of God's will, you know, why did, why did grandma die? Oh, it's because of God's will. Why did September 11th happen? It's God's will. Why am I compulsory? It's God's will. You know, that didn't really 
you know, that sounded really dangerous to me. I mean, that crap, I really didn't like that too much when I came in here. Um, you know, when I came into OA, I heard a lot of people talking about God and God getting them husbands and jobs and, and, and houses and parking spaces, you know, and not the parking space. I mean, seriously, like I, I can't even handle that. You know, God's getting you parking spaces. I mean, he doesn't get me them. I don't know, but he might like all of you. And then I had this woman come up to me. But it was an old timer in OA. She came up to me in, in this misguided helpfulness. I remember just having a miscarriage and I was just devastated at a meeting. And she had told me how she had five healthy children and blah, blah, blah. And she had said how, um, well, perhaps God had some lessons for me to learn. And I thought, so God likes you, but I'm crap, you know. And I thought, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not interested in any kind of world in which God is out to get me in any which way. So how I look at this is and what helps me the most is the long form of the serenity prayer. It says, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking this world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that God will make all things right if I surrender to his will. And I do not, I am very certain, I do not ever know God's plan, but I am certain of when I'm not doing God's will. Um, and God's will is for me to help others. And if that is the only reason I have this disease, then so be it. And, you know, I used to spend a lot of time on why did I eat? I used to collect the reasons. I, I mean, even if you call me, I might even write it down, why you ate. Um, but I heard someone say to me, you know, I ate because I was depressed, abused, you know, alcoholic family. But really, um, someone said to me, I, you know, I do believe you ate over that. But you, you can't stay drunk over those things. You know, you may have eaten over them, but you can't stay drunk over those things. And that really helped me out a lot. And the last thing I'll say is there's this old saying that carte blanche, that's saying it's this license to have freedom to do whatever you want. Um, and that just, and in, uh, and there's this French term, and it was a treaty when they surrendered to war, you sign this blank statement because you just give up, your butt is whooped. And that's the formal terms of the third step. I'm signing a blank treaty to just say, I don't freaking know, I surrender. Um, and to just see what happens. And my God, how has, my life has changed just by saying, I don't know why, and it really doesn't matter. So thank you for letting me share it, Pastor. Thank you, Laura. Okay, so if you've just joined us, we are on page 22, the third paragraph. Perhaps there never will be, and we still have the same um, request that although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience. So who would like to share? Blanca BG. Blanca BG. Diane C. Diane C. Who else? Judy K. Judy K. Priscilla H. Priscilla H. Can we take a few more? Deborah okay, M. well, let's go with Deborah M. Okay, well, let's go with those five, and then we may have time for a few more at the end. We certainly should. Okay, uh, Blanca BG, Diane C, Judy K, Priscilla H, and Deborah M. Go ahead, please, uh, Blanca. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes. Um, Thank you. Good morning. Um, this is Blanca BG from Orlando, recovering. Um, I remember a few years back, well, many years back, there was a, I think it was a National Geographic show on addiction, and they took the, uh, they did an ultrasound of a heroin addict's 
uh, brain and a regular, you know, and a regular quote, normal, uh, a person who was not addicted and they put them side by side and the red, um, red showed the addictive uh, portions of the brain and the heroin addicts uh, ultrasound was just lit up, lit up. And the non-addictive persons, uh, there was uh, no red. So it, it showed that our brain, my brain works differently. And at the end of the show, they just said that scientists are still working day and night to try to break this, this, uh, this puzzle of why addicts react so differently. Um, their, their physiological bodies are, are different. And it struck me that if scientists are working day and night to try to figure this out, what makes me think I will? And at this point, I don't want to waste any more time, like so many others have said before me this morning, trying to figure it out. I hope the scientists do. I hope in my lifetime they do. And when I'm not on this planet anymore, I still hope that they do because I have children and grandchildren and I wouldn't want this for, for them in a million years with my, what happened to me with my addiction. And, but I, there are things I can do, which is keep coming back. As they say, keep coming back. I never stopped coming back. Um, never. Even when I was uh, deep in disease, I kept on coming back, taking it one day at a time and realizing that it took me a lifetime. It took me a lifetime to develop this disease. It's not going to go away overnight and keep going on faith. And also, most importantly, to realize this disease is never cured. It's only managed. But with the help of the 12 steps, I can, I can keep on that journey. I can continue to trudge the road of happy destiny. And on that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Blanca BG. Okay, Diane C, you're up, followed by Judy K. Diane C, star one. Hi, Katie. Can you hear me? It's Diane C. Yes, I can hear you. Yes. Good morning, everyone. Um, this is Diane C, gratefully recovered in the Baltimore area. Um, <clears throat> So, yeah, I, I, I am looking at all of these whys. I have them circled in my big book, why, why, why. And it says that perhaps I'll never have a full answer to these questions of why. Why do I react to food differently from normal people? Why do I behave like this? And what has become of my sense, common sense and willpower that I have in other areas of my life? These things have just sort of plagued me, these questions, this unknowing, I can't figure it out. I want to be able to wrap my brain around it. Um, but I was looking at human power, um, self-help books and diets as have been discussed in my own limited understanding. And I love her on page 16, it says, if God can solve the age-old riddle of alcoholism, he can solve your problems too. Oh, so that, that is really helpful to me, but of course, my analytical mind jumps into gear from that, and I think, okay, so if God can solve the riddle, now what? Now what do I do? Do I just sit here and wait? 
And and part of the answer is just keep just keep following directions. Just stay on the path created by these steps. When I was working the steps, it was do what what the next step that my sponsor gave me. And now as I um as I'm doing life in recovery and I'm applying this, it, it, there more questions do come up. And I, I turn back to my sponsor, I turn back to fellows, I, I listen, and more is being revealed. I'm never going to have the mind of God, and he doesn't intend for me to do that. But I do have spiritual eyes, and I can see things in a, in a way that, um, that is more open, is more generous, and more, there is more of an awareness that I'm not doing this, I, that I do need to continually lean on steps one, two, and three, especially step two, that it's not up to me, that there is a power greater than myself and that I'm not it. There is a God and I'm not it. And, um, and so I do, can just trust that more will be revealed. And the fact that I probably won't have the whole picture and won't be able to crack the code is okay. And um, so I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Thank you, Diane. Okay, Judy Kay, you're up, followed by Priscilla H. Hi, thank you. This is Judy Kay, recovered in Cary, North Carolina. Um, why? So growing up, that was the question always being asked. And we figured if we knew why, we could fix it. So we were always asking why, especially when it came to behavior. Why did you do this? Why did you touch this? <laughs> there would be times when there was no answer to the why. And I'd be told, well, why is a crooked letter and it can't be straightened? Um, <laughs> the why today, does it, is it really essential that we know, well, you know, we get to repeat history if we if we don't look at the causes of things. And so the why for me today is why, why am I here? And I'm here for God's purpose, whatever that may be. And perhaps I'll get the answers as to the why by getting to know his will for me, not my will, his will. And I do believe that his will for me today is to be recovered and to help others, to guide others through these 12 steps so that they can have the experience of recovery as well. Um, I love the shares today. Uh, I just love this meeting. And I want to thank everyone who's on the meeting for 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 their sharing and their their experience, strength, and hope. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, um, Judy Kay. Okay, Priscilla H., you're up, followed by Deborah M. Um, hi, did you say Priscilla H.? Sorry. I, I did. Was... Go ahead, please. Thank you so much. Uh, Priscilla H., today recovered um, from my addiction and also recovering, and I love this paragraph, and I appreciate some of the um, shares that I've heard previously about addiction. 
I am somebody who wants to understand why about all kinds of different things. And what I understand today um, about my disease is that it is the disease of addiction. Um, It's a form of allergy, yes, technically, according to the dictionary, but but addiction is unique. <clears throat> and when they wrote this book in the 1930s and maybe early 40s, um, very little was known about addiction and and about the brain. But as a previous was mentioned in a previous share, today there's technology um, that is scientists are investigating the disease we call addiction to find out exactly how it happens, where it happens in the brain, how it can be addressed medically. In my opinion, probably those scientists will have a better scientific understanding than I'll ever have, but they'll never, unless they are addicts in recovery themselves, they'll never understand addiction in the way that we do. Um, I know I'm, I'm kind of rambling here, but what I learned about addict, my addiction is that it doesn't happen in the gut, the stomach, any, any part of the gastrointestinal system. It doesn't happen in my mouth, even though that's where the sensation of pleasure seems to live. It happens in my brain, and that helps me to understand the withdrawal that I have gone through when I became abstinent from um, addictive foods. It also, the science of addiction tells me that I cannot afford to indulge even one tiny bit, not even one tiny bit, in an addictive substance because that is what will get my addiction off and running again. What I can do, though, is learn how to live Addiction robbed me of a lot of life lessons that I needed, and that's where the 12 steps come in. I'm so glad I've heard abstinence referred to as step zero because that's what sets the stage for me to work all those other steps and live on those steps. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Priscilla. Deborah M., you're up, and then we'll open up for a few more. Oh, hi. Thank you, moderator, and thank you all for beautiful shares. My name is Deborah M. from Western New York and recovered, grateful, compulsive overeater. Um, the whys. The why I had figured it out was because I did not have enough willpower. And if I read the right book, if I listened to the right tape, if I was in the right mood, if I was praying the right prayers, the why would come. So I would try and position myself, buy books, do all of those things we know. But every time I failed in the why, shame came upon me. And the shame started to build up, 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 because I could see other people eating, putting the food down, and not understanding why. So the shame was was growing. Um, but that's okay, because shame at that point, at that for that reason, um, it was a God thing because it just caused me to come and be willing to hear. When I heard, I'm a nurse also, when I heard that there was an allergy of the body, oh my gosh, it was so freeing. 
because I realized, just like diabetes, um, you're born with it. Juvenile diet, you're born with it. You can't fix it. Um, you'll never fix it. You just have to follow a plan. And that was what really um, just say it did. Let's face it, it just saved my life, that understanding. Then, though, sometimes during these years of, of compulsive overeating and relapse, I would feel, I would feel cured, and I could that you know our crazy head would say, "Yeah, you're cured. You can pick up the food. You can taste this." Unless I take that medicine every day, and unless I go through the steps, and unless I'm helping other people, my mind will tell me that I am cured. It, there's just no doubt about it. I need all of the steps, but I had to come to the understanding it wasn't my fault. I was not to owe the shame. So if there is anybody on the line who is trying over and over again in their willpower because you're smart or for whatever reason it works before, if you have this disease, it will not work. And the shame will only build up and just think about it and, and come back, ask questions. Um, there's answers here for you. And with that, I'll, sh I'll pass. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Deborah M. Okay, so we still have a few, 10 more minutes, so we can take three or four more people who would like to share on the uh, third paragraph on page 22. Perhaps there never will be if you haven't shared in the last couple of days. Russ M. Russ M. Kelly S. Kelly S. Kelly S. Okay. Yeah. Who else? Kathy S. Kathy S. Kelly, take one more. Judith R. Okay, we'll go with and Judith R. Okay, let's go with those four. Russ M, Kelly S, Kathy S, and Judith R. Go ahead, Russ. Hey, Katie, I'll make it quick. Russ M, former post leader in, in PA. So when I hear that word um, why all the time, I I think of all the money, all the relationships, all the energy I expended trying to figure it out. And now that I've been, you know, through the grace of God, I've been free. I realize it was my pride because while I was trying to figure it out, it gave me license in my mind to continue to eat and destroy my life, friends, everything, to destroy everything. So that's what that why means to me. It's like I had to hit the bottom. And then I didn't have to figure out why. So that's all I wanted to share. Thanks. Thank you, Russ. Kelly S., you're up, followed by Kathy S. Hey, guys. It's Kelly S., Recovered Compulsive um, Eater and Bulimic in Oklahoma. Thanks, Katie, for your service. So um, I just felt really um, led to share today because that why thing, I know everybody said the same thing. Spent my whole life, why, why, decades in these rooms, why, why? And I just thought if I could understand this addiction, wouldn't matter, of course, as we all know, I'm an addict. I'm the real compulsive overeater. And even understanding it won't fix it. I'm in the medical field. I know a lot of you guys know that. And, you know, we understand diabetes. And guess what? If you have diabetes, you have it. Doesn't matter if we understand it or not, take your medicine. So I love the person share earlier this morning that talked about um, Jim and Bill W. And that's what really led me to share today because I just think about um, it wasn't circumstances, you know, 
It's what I didn't know is I was asking the wrong question. That's what I really wanted to share with you guys. So for three, three decades in these rooms, I was asking the wrong question. I thought I had a food problem, right? For years, I thought I had a food problem. Why can't I control food? Well, what I didn't know was and didn't realize until I was reintroduced into this book by you guys. Thank you for being my Ebby um, and we agnostics that um, I have a spiritual malady. I don't have a food problem. So I was trying to solve my food problem. Why? Why? Well, guess what? The reason why is I have a spiritual malady. And so I think about, you know, Jen and, and Bill. So what was the difference? Bill sought the solution. And what's the solution? You know, he tells us in his own story, work and self-sacrifice with others. You know, he did the work. You know, he reached out and talked to somebody else. He, he got in that phone booth. You know, he made a phone call. He started meetings. He worked with Dr. Bob. And, you know, I think, so when I think about other diseases, you know, I could take insulin, you know, or I could take uh, metformin, which is going to give me diarrhea. I could have cancer. I could have chemo that's going to make my hair fall out. But guess what I get to do? First of all, I have to weigh and measure my food, and I get to eat healthy food that I actually enjoy. Then I get to make phone calls and connect with you guys and find out I'm not alone in this journey of life. Then I get to work with others. I go to meetings. I hear all kinds of great stuff. And then every morning I spend time with my higher power. I spend time in prayer and meditation. And slowly, I'm working these steps, and I'm learning how to do life, and I'm working on that spiritual malady. And because of that, I'm not having to find a new solution, which is food. You know, that was my ease and comfort, food, drugs, alcohol, sex, you name it. I always looked everywhere else because I did not understand the real question I need to be asking is why. I have a spiritual malady, and what do I do now? I work these steps. I, first of all, I'm abstinent. I work these steps. I lean into God, and I keep doing this work. And uh, I'm just so grateful I don't have to do insulin or metformin or uh, chemo. And today I have a spiritual solution to this why. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Kelly. Okay, Kathy S., you're up, followed by Judith R. Thanks so much, Katie. Um, this is Kathy S., recovered compulsive overeater in Georgia. And um, just gosh love the shares this morning and what came up for me you know again like we we mentioned last week this question why uh it's typically what i ask when i'm not accepting a situation and um you know we know now a little bit of why why i can't stop this it's because of the nature of addiction it's a mental obsession and a physical allergy and it is not solved by willpower and by more questions of why. Why only keeps me in victim mode. It keeps me in self-pity, which turns to resentment, which always led back to the food. So um, it's, it's just, I don't know. It, it, um, for me, however, what I wanted to share is that this question of why, it also shows up as doubt. Uh, as someone else mentioned earlier, am I being perfectionistic? Am I, um, you know, just trying to overdo things when I'm and I'm like, did I really hear God say that? Am I really being led? And, um, I, you know, it's just, that's just another facet, another direction of maybe it's because I'm unwilling. And then this idea of, um, uh, let's see, once uh, little can be done and then they can't answer the riddle, even if scientists or somebody solved the riddle uh, as well as, you know, like tried to um scientists found an answer if i was given an offered a pill i don't think i would i know i wouldn't take it knowing what i know now because after working the steps and continuing to work the steps in abstinence 
life with God, the spiritual way of life is just, is better than anything I can, anything a pill could ever give me. Um, it just helps me in handling everything. Although it seems challenging, it's just, it's better than I ever thought possible. I have health, I have peace, I have guidance, I have friends, fellowship, connection, and um, it's just, it's, that's something that a pill never, never would give me. It can't get rid of self. So um, anyways, that's just all I wanted to share, and uh, thanks for the opportunity, and I pass. Thank you, Kathy. Okay, Judith R., you're up. Thank you, Katie. I'm going to assume you can hear me or you'd tell me. Judith Art, gracefully yes. recovered in Vermont. And um, a same theme as everybody else. I am the daughter of a psychiatrist and a social worker, so everything was um, mental, emotional. And um, even though I was spiritual at the time, I couldn't couldn't make that part work until I read the book and understood. Um, I thought that something terrible had happened to me when I was a kid or a baby. And that if I ever found out what it was, I would either go completely insane or be suddenly reach nirvana and be completely well. But I was afraid it was going to be that I would go crazy. Um, so I spent years um, talking to psychiatrists and therapists and I refused, absolutely refused to go to the pain ways because I knew they would look at the psychological aspect of it. Um, and even after dabbling, well, diving pretty much into the 12 steps and even having read the doctor's opinion, but not the way we do it now, I still didn't get the full the fullness of of the recovery and what was being offered to me um i'm so so grateful i mean i've been in 43 years i have 30 some years of abstinence and i've got three four years of being recovered because of not reading the book and not understanding what vision has now given to me um so the why had to be replaced by the how how do I recover? How do we do this? How do we do this together? And with that, I pass. Thank you. Well, thank you, Judith. Okay, so we have, well, we have about 30 seconds if there's someone who has just this burning desire to share. Otherwise, we'll just go ahead and end the meeting. Okay, hearing none, here we go. Uh, thank you to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. And the share ID for today, Monday, December 14th, is 15,986. That's 15986. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Nancy P. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, good morning. Uh, Katie, thank you for your service. Uh, Nancy P. recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the records of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 